we're going to um, start a series this morning on uh, the glory of the Lord. We talk about God's glory. We, uh, I think there's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of discussion. We, we use the term glory often, but I don't think, I don't think I know much about it. Uh, and I don't think I've very, I've ever really heard much theology about it. I haven't heard very much ever heard, uh, anybody talk about it from the Bible. Um, I think we have ideas of what the glory of the Lord is, but I'm not sure we've got real clarity on it. And, uh, and hopefully we can get some clarity. And, and honestly, to be quite honest with you, I'm really just hoping that if we talk about the glory of the Lord, we're going to get a manifestation of the glory here. I just figure if we talk about his glory, that's a good thing to do. So uh, maybe we'll make some points, but maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just talk about his glory and he'll show up. I'd like that quite a bit. But uh, let's, have a, let's have a word of prayer and uh, let's ask the Lord to, to speak to us and come with his glory. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in the earth. We believe you. We know that you are moving with your presence in the earth today. So Lord, I'm asking even this morning, would you release to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you according to the riches of your glory. According to the riches of your glory. And Abba, I come and I present to you my weakness. And as always, I need you to hold my hand and help. And I'm asking Abba, you would manifest yourself. Illuminate our minds. Fill our souls. But mostly, would you release your presence and your power upon us? Would you release your glory on the house of prayer and on the church in the city of Atlanta? Release your glory. Lord, we love you. We, we love you, Lord. Good. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. Good. So, as I begin to look at the, uh, the verses in the Bible on, on glory, I realized that I couldn't just look at the verses and extract a definition because the word glory is used in the scripture about five different ways. And uh, it was surprising to me, but I'd never thought about that. I'd, I'd always thought about uh, glory as being a singular um, English expression, but it's not. It, uh, it discusses in the scripture, it discusses four or five things that we would understand uh, in, in English. And um, the Hebrew word is undoubtedly a word that you've heard somebody talk about somewhere before if you've been in the church for any length. It's a uh, Hebrew word is called kabod, K-A-B-O-D, or kabod. I don't know how you would say it. It's probably got a in there if it's you say it right. It's chabad or something like that. But uh, that is the term that's used most often for glory in the Old Testament. The uh, 
the Greek term that's used most often in the New Testament is a Greek term doxa. Doxa. D-O-X-A. And those are the equivalents. Those are the Hebrew and Greek equivalents of one another. Now the challenge is this, that uh, while kabod is used multiple times, hundreds of times in the Old Testament, it's uh, got a several different ways that it's, it's understood. And so I want to I want to explain those for us, but then I want to focus on one of the definitions. Does that make sense? I'm going to explain all the different ways, not all, several of the different ways it's used, but then I want to nail down and really spend the rest of our time today talking about only one of those ways, and that's what we'll focus on throughout the rest of the the few weeks that we'll be talking about the glory of the Lord. Okay, so firstly, glory... Uh, it's used in a way that it defines wealth or material possessions. Um, something that which the person is uh, given distinction because they have lots of stuff. Psalm 49, verse 16, it says this. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. That's talking about the riches of his house, the distinction of his house. For when he dies, he shall carry away nothing. His glory shall not descend after him. It's a good little verse, just not trusting in uh, uncertain riches. But specifically, the word glory there is talking about wealth or riches, material possessions. All right, secondly, glory, it defines the uh, dignity or the honor of an individual. So the first way is riches and wealth. The second way is the dignity of for the honor of somebody. Genesis 45, verse 13. It's, uh, Joseph talking. He's, t- he's telling his brothers to go back and, and tell Jacob about him and, and everything that's, that, that he's uh, done and, and who he is in Egypt. And he says, So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you've seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. He's telling his brothers, Go back and tell dad all the honor that I've gained in Egypt. Let him know that I'm number two guy in charge under Pharaoh. Let him know of the dignity and the honor that, that I receive. And so many times the term glory, we say uh, glory to God. And what we're saying there is honor to God. Honor to God. You know, we give you glory. We're saying we give you honor. Now a little side note. In the New Testament, the term, give God glory, it appears about three, uh, the phrase appears about three or four times. And that phrase is actually specifically talking about having a heart of repentance. Give God glory. Uh, you know, one time Jesus healed a man on, on the Sabbath, and, and the, uh, he ended up getting excommunicated. And the, re- the response from the uh, Pharisees was, We don't know who this Jesus is, but you need to give God glory. You need to repent of thinking he's somebody. It it sounds like they were encouraging him to worship the Lord, but instead they were saying, you need to give God glory. You need to repent for saying that this Jesus is anybody. So in the New Testament, when you see that phrase, give God glory, it's actually talking about a turning of the heart to God and an, an honoring of God by repenting of your sin. Okay, then thirdly, glory it defines the deepest part of the soul of an individual, including that person's emotions. The deepest part of the individual, including his soul. 
So Psalm 16, it says this. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My glory rejoices. It's talking about my soul. The depths of who I am, it rejoices. In John 17, when Jesus says, Father, I desire that those that you've given me would be with me where I am and behold my glory. I believe he's talking about them beholding his uh, external beauty, which is another way that you can use that term, is just beauty, and, 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 and beholding his position. But I think it also has to do with beholding the emotions of God, the depths of who God is. And so uh, one of the Psalms says, awake my glory. He's saying, awake my soul. Come alive. The depths of who you are is your glory. And so then the final way, and this is the way that we're going to focus on the rest of the time. It's not that the others aren't important. They are, and, and you'll see them used throughout the scriptures. And, but we're going to focus on this one. And the reason why is I found 22 pages of scriptures that talk about this uh, explanation of glory. 22 pages, and undoubtedly there's more. But this last part is, it defines the form in which God reveals himself, the glory of the Lord. It's his physical manifestation of his divine presence. And that's what we want to focus on. That's, that's the one I'm interested in. I think it's interesting that my soul is my glory and that riches and dignity and honor are glory, but I want to know about when God comes and there's a manifestation of who he is in the midst of a people, that God stuff that's happening in front of me, I want to know about that. And that's what we're going to focus on the the next portion of time. I was talking to some friends uh, this week, and, uh, and we were talking about um, churches and vision and, and, and IHOP. And, you know, it, it was an interesting little conversation, but one of, one of the people they said, um, or, or the way the conversation kind of went, they said, you know, that, that focus of that church is to make sure that every person's needs are met. If they, and, and what they do is they, they focus on individuals and they meet their needs and, and they hope to meet people's needs and connect them with God. And I thought, you know, that's, that's pretty good. You know, if you're thinking about every person that comes in your door and you go, okay, how do I meet their needs and connect them with God? So their focus is on the individual coming in the door, how to meet that person's needs. And then they were talking about a different church and they said, you know, the focus of that church is they want people to meet God by connecting with other people through relationships. And, and so the idea is to get people in, and then when they get them in, they introduce those to other people, and they hopefully they find God in that other person. And, and that's how they find God. So the first one was they come in the door and they meet their needs, and, and then they find God through meeting their needs. They focus on the people coming in the door. The, the second way, they focus on relationships. And they said, so what do you guys do at IHOP? I said, well... I don't think we focus on, you know, everybody coming through the door and trying to figure out what their needs are and how can we meet all their needs. And I said, you know, we like relationships, but I don't think we focus on how to get everybody connected in relationships. I said, I think we focus on getting God there. 
And if we can get God to come, the guy will get his needs met and he'll get some good relationships out of it probably too. But the point would be to get God in the house. And that's, you know, I might be a little simplistic. But that's my model for church growth. Get God to come. I believe we'll all grow spiritually if God's here. And a lot of people will come and want to meet God. And it's not, I mean, to me, the ultimate, uh, I, I got to be careful of this. I want lots and lots of people to know the Lord, but I don't care if they come through my thing. Let me say it that way. If we pray and God comes to the city and, and tons of people get involved in the church in the city and we have our little crowd on Sunday morning high-fiving each other, that's fine. I want God to come in lots of people to meet the Lord. But at the end of the day, I just want God to come. That's what's burning in me. I want God to come. And so that's why I want to focus on this definition of glory. What it is when the glory of the Lord is manifest in the midst of a people. And that's the definition I have 22 pages of verses on. And there's probably way, way more than that in the Bible. But a few weeks ago, you know, we had this little encounter for a few weeks. And it's still, I believe it's still happening in different ways. But there was, there was a tangible something that was uh, happening for about 10 days. And, uh, you know, I don't believe it's over. I believe we got a little, a little you know, appetizer. But there was something, and, and the presence of the Lord was resting on me and others in a weight, a physical weight and I uh, was trying to explain it. It felt to me as if I was wearing a lead uh, bodysuit. I just felt heavy, heavy weight of the presence of the Lord on me. It was hard to walk. My head felt like I had a lead cap on. It was heavy. My head felt like it was way heavier than it is. And that's an unusual way to be. But I liked it a lot. And, uh, and several felt that. I was talking to Stephen just this week, and, and he said, you know, I didn't feel the laughing, drunken thing. He goes, but I felt the heavy, weighty presence of the Lord. And what I believe that was was a, a drop of the glory of the Lord just residing uh, in, in our midst and upon us for, for a, a moment. And what I would like to see is the glory of the Lord come and dwell. Now, there's a term that maybe you know. It's Shekinah. Shekinah. Now, Shekinah doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It's not a Hebrew uh, or a Greek term that appears in, in, the, in the Bible. It's actually, the first time you see it is in the, uh, in the Targums, which are the Jewish um, commentaries. And, they're, and it's a term that's used to describe the, the abiding or dwelling of God's presence in a place. The Shekinah glory. I always thought until I studied it just now, that Shekinah meant something shiny, just because it sounded shiny. Shekiny. Shiny, Shekinah. Anyway, I did. I just figured Shekinah had to do with splendor and lightning and something. All, all Shekinah means, or Shekinah, however they say it, is the dwelling of the, of the uh, presence of the Lord. The dwelling of God's presence in a place. And you know, we, you, get, you hear people, they say, God, we don't, I was about to sing song it. God, we don't want a, um... that's funny. I get it together. Whew. 
This is not Holy Spirit laughter. <laughs> this is me cracking myself up. God, we don't want a, uh, a visitation. We want a habitation. God, we don't want a visitation. We want a habitation. There. Make myself happy. <laughs> anyway, um, so you hear that often. We don't want a visitation. We want a habitation. Well, the habitation is the Shekinah. It's the, the abiding presence of the Lord, the dwelling of the Lord in his manifestation in a place. And so I started looking at this thing about the, the presence of the Lord, the, the glory of God. And what is that then? Because we can say it's his manifest presence. So then does that mean when we're in worship and we feel a little something, that's the glory? Does that mean that's the glory? And I think sometimes we throw the term around, and, and you know, you hear the guy go, you know, he gets up on the platform, he goes, the glory is here. And, the, and I appreciate that. And if he's talking about just the generic manifest presence of God, and he's saying, I can sense something, that's fine. But in the Bible, when you see, the, when the Bible goes and attaches the term glory to something God is doing, you have a variety of things that are generally happening and mostly the people can't stand up. They mostly can't stand up and deal with what, what God's doing. And, um, and so to me, when uh, glory is released, it's talking about uh, something more than just being able to feel his presence. It's talking about the divine personality manifest in a place. It's talking about God infiltrating an area in a manifest way, in a way that you can actually tangibly sense and it affecting that place. And uh, I've always been fascinated with that concept. I've always believed uh, for a long time, not 100% of the time I've been saved, but since my earliest days in Christianity that you could get the glory of God to come and invade a city and that manifestation of God's presence would affect everything in the city. I believe that. I believe that you can get the manifestation of God's presence to come and it to affect everything that's surrounding it. So the word kabod, it literally means weightiness. It literally means weightiness. The same root word for kabod is also translated liver, like the liver of a person. And that, that is talking about the liver is a very dense organ. It's a very heavy, weighty organ. And so the kabod is the weight of God. It's, it's the, the depths of God. It's, it's, it's the, the heaviness of his presence. It's the manifestation of his divine personality. And one way of saying it, and I'm, just, I'm trying to get my mind around it, so I just want to throw a bunch of thoughts out to you. And one way of saying it, it's this atmosphere that surrounds and is, seems to be generated by God. The atmosphere that God generates around him. In other words, it's like if you have a really joyful person come into the room. Maybe you're just sitting there in your office or, or whatever. Or, and, and somebody really joyful comes in. You can sort of feel that joy coming off of them. Sort of feel, filling the place. You know what I'm talking about? Or somebody really angry, they come in and they're just, I mean, you don't even have to say anything to the guy. You just, you're kind of like, whoa. And you can feel that anger. 
Well, the glory of the Lord is, is the same idea. It's this emanation from God of the, the being of God. It's his influence. But it's more than just one of his attributes. It's all of his attributes. It's his power. It's his beauty. It's all of his emotions. It's his life. It's all that makes up God on the inside manifest on the outside. So when people come in contact with the glory, they get delivered. When people come in contact with the glory, they get healed. When people come in contact with the glory, they get joyful. I love uh, the psalmist. He said, let the saints be joyful in glory. Because Psalm 16, uh, verse 11, it tells us, at his right hand is fullness of joy. In his presence are pleasures evermore. Did I get it backwards? His presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. What's it talking about? It's talking about that which is in God is emanating out of God, creating a zone of influence about God that is the makeup of God from the inside manifesting outside of him. The occultists call it, don't, get, make, don't, don't shoot me down, they, they use the term aura. Aura. There's, there's not a real good term to describe that thing but it's the zone of influence on the outside of God. It's not actually God. It's, it's his manifestation. In other words, God is so intense that whenever he goes anywhere, he brings a zone that's him. Does that make sense? And I started thinking about all the different examples and just reading through all the scriptures in the Bible about this zone of God. This weight of his presence. So just to say it again, I just need to say this again. His glory contains all that he is. It's every attribute of God manifest. It's more than his omnipresence. It's more than his indwelling presence. It's his manifestation it's his nature and his attributes. It's his power, it's his emotion, it's his personality, it's his beauty. All in one package and a tangible experience. The glory of the Lord. I want that. I want to touch that. I want to feel that. I don't want to touch it in a way I want it for myself. I want to touch it in a way that I want to experience him. See, Moses, he got it. Check this out. Moses says, Lord, please show me your glory. Now, Exodus 33, please show me your glory. That comes 14 chapters after Exodus 19, right? We do the math. Nine chapters after Exodus 24. Well, in Exodus 19, the glory of the Lord rests on the mountain. The whole mountain is covered in smoke. The Lord comes down in fire. There's lightnings and thunderings. There's the sound of a trumpet. The whole mountain is shaking. The trumpet is so loud. 
The people are stopping their ears. The voice of the Lord comes out of the mountain, out of the cloud. And the Lord calls to Moses. 2.2 million Israelites see this. They turn around and walk off. And they say to Moses, you go in and we'll stay back. Moses walks in and the Lord speaks to him. And I love the way it reads in the, in the scripture because it says, when the sound of the trumpet, it's like, which trumpet and who's actually blowing it? Because you don't really get the, there's no human blowing it. When the sound of the trumpet got exceedingly loud, Moses spoke. You know, it's, it's you know, just pyrotechnics, supernatural. And Moses goes, hey, God. So fast forward now, 14 chapters. Moses has been up on the mountain. He's done the 40-day fast. And Moses said, Exodus 33, he goes, please, show me your glory. I go, Moses, are you missing a little something? You just saw the glory. You just saw the Lord. The Bible says you saw his feet, you know, right after that, you saw his feet on the pavement of sapphire with 70 elders. What are you talking about? Show me your glory. And what you have to read between the lines, Moses said, I don't want to just see the externals. I want to see all of it. I want to see the internals. I want to see who you really are. He goes, pull back the curtain on all the thunder, lightning, and all that. I want to see you. And then the Lord answers and says, you cannot see my face and live. Interesting word, face. It's a Hebrew term, panim, or something like that. And it, it literally is translated face, presence, and before, like the area before God. He goes, Moses, if I pull all that back and you see my presence, my face, and the area right in front of me, all that I am, you're going to die. You're going to die. That song that Christian was just singing, Shine on Us, comes from Psalm 80. It says, shine your uh, face upon us. Shine your presence upon us. It's talking about release the manifestation of the glory of the Lord. Let your face shine upon us. It's what Moses asked for. It's amazing. It's It's the continual prayer throughout the Old Testament. Let your face shine upon us. We want to see your glory. That's what they're saying all the time. So as I begin to look at these things, I begin to realize this this glory of the Lord, it's tangible, it's powerful, it's his attributes, it's his beauty, it's his majesty, all manifest in a place. He actually manifests it in a place. The glory of the Lord, it actually fills places. It actually fills places. It filled the tabernacle. It filled the temple. The glory of the Lord, he actually uses it and fills places with his own being manifest in that place. And the Bible says that one day, the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth. It will fill the earth. The glory is going to fill the earth. That's huge. 
started thinking about all the manifestations of glory in the Old Testament, I started thinking about Ezekiel. Ezekiel 1 is probably one of the coolest chapters in the Bible. I know I say that all the time, that this is probably the coolest chapter. It's just one of them. I mean, there's probably a thousand of the, one of the coolest ones. But man, it's cool. Ezekiel is in captivity by the, by the river Chebar in Babylon. That's probably the country way to say it. Kebab. Chebar. He's by the river Chebar, and he, he's sitting there, and he sees a cloud of fire, a huge cloud from the ground to the heavens of fire spinning and whirling like a whirlwind with fire engulfing itself. He sees living creatures and wheels, and the wheels have eyes all over them. The living creatures have four faces. They're moving like lightning. There's lightning flashing through the cloud. He looks up, and above the heads of the living creature, there's a sapphire pavement. Sounds like what Moses saw. And above that, there's a throne, and there's a man on the throne. And he looks like amber and fire. And there's a rainbow. And there's light and and flashes of beauty and this cloud is whirling and fire and and it's funny because when you hear his explanation he goes and it was like the likeness of he goes like we're two generations away from what it really was it was like like a like a the throne was like a sapphire and he sees the lord on the throne and he says the likeness was the glory of the Lord. And I fell as a dead man. You know, he didn't just see it once. He saw it in chapter 8. He saw it in chapter 10. He saw it in chapter 43. He saw it multiple times. Ezekiel had a cool life. He was enslaved and imprisoned. But he physically with his eyes, physically with his eyes, saw the glory of the Lord on multiple occasions. Moses saw it on the mountain. And the end of that story, remember, the Lord said, you can't see my face. You can't see all that my presence is. You can't see everything that I am. You'll die. He goes, but I'll let you see behind me. He goes, you can't see before me, but I'll let you see behind me. He goes, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll hide you in the cleft. And when I pass by, I'll cover you with my hand and I'll pass by and I'll proclaim my name to you. See, there's a hint that the name of God that declares these attributes of God, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, full of compassion, abounding in, in goodness and truth, full of loving kindness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, that that name is something of the glory of the Lord. It's the emotions, the attributes of God. He goes, I'll proclaim my name, and you'll see the back of me. Moses actually saw the back of God. And when he comes down out of that encounter, his face is shining. Now, think, put your mind around this. We're talking the Middle East. We're talking in the middle of the day, in the desert, And Moses' face is so bright, he's got to veil his own face 
because it's bright, it's causing a glare. Now think about that for a moment. The Middle East, in the desert, in the middle of the day, and Moses' face is shining so bright, they can't look at him. What's the deal with that? They didn't have sunglasses, and Moses is causing more glare than the sun. Glory of the Lord. Glory of the Lord. Oh, that it would manifest in our midst. And then Solomon. Oh, I love Solomon. Second Chronicles 5, 6, and 7. Such a cool narrative when they build the temple. And he brings in the, the worshipers and the praisers. And they're all going, the trumpeters and those with cymbals. They're all singing. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. They're singing about his name. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. And it says, the glory of the Lord filled the whole temple. It filled the inner court, the holy of holies, and the outer court. Everywhere. I always had a picture of it just filling the Holy of Holies. But they bring the ark in. They set the ark in the Holy of Holies. They draw the curtain. They walk back out. They're singing. The trumpeters are playing. Everybody's singing. And the glory of God comes and fills the entire temple, the whole house of God, and the priests cannot stand and continue ministering. They're falling out. Power is hitting everybody. The weight of the personality of God is landing on everyone. So that it started, I started asking the question, so those are all Old Testament manifestations. And in the New Testament, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Is it legal, this is the way I think, is it legal for me to believe for a manifestation of the glory of the Lord like Solomon had when we are carriers of the glory. And that right there is a whole session. I won't even go into being carriers of the glory. And the reason why is we mostly don't believe it. We mostly don't believe it. We mostly don't believe 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 3 says, in Christ the veil is torn, the veil is taken away, and we have this treasure talking about the glory of the Lord in an earthen vessel. The, the challenge is we mostly don't believe that we're carriers of the glory. But I was saying, Lord, is it okay for me to believe this, that in the New Testament, we can have a manifestation like Solomon had? Does that happen in the New Testament? Where the glory of the Lord comes and there's a physical manifestation of the glory. And there are several of them in the New Testament. Several of them. And I thought it was interesting what they do at the times when the glory of the Lord appears in the New Testament, what the purpose of the glory of the Lord was. First time we see the glory of the Lord manifest in the New Testament is when the angels herald the coming of the Lord. The angels show up in the field. They show up to a bunch of shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shines on these shepherds. Now that would be an awesome evening out in the field watching the sheep. And angels begin to proclaim. There's hosts of angels. They're singing and they're proclaiming. 
I love it. It's, we read this at, at Christmas all the time, but listen to this. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. And then the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So the Lord uses the glory to herald his first coming. Think about that for a minute. He uses the glory to announce his first coming. The next time we see the, the glory of God manifest, well, it's not the next time. We see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see God's glory come, and he glorifies his son. And Jesus, uh, his garments change white. James and Peter and John, they see it with their eyes. The manifestation of the splendor and the glory of the Lord. And Peter freaks out. And then we see it again on the day of Pentecost. I was thinking about this. You know, the Lord chooses to have the first church service. And he opens the church with glory on the people. And he does it on a day when there's visitors from all over the world. You know, sometimes we think like this. You know, we bring our family member to church. And we go, okay, Lord, like, can, can, you, can it be a little bit normal today? And I'm bringing my family member, Lord, and you know, they're a little bit on edge. And, and if, uh, if something weird happens, I just, they're not going to get blessed. They're not going to get saved. And it, Lord... If you could just tone it down two notches, and that's always the day where something just goes bizarre. You know, the guy gets the tongue and interpretation right next to you. And you're sitting right next to your family member, and they're looking at like, what was that? And, you know, that's, that's the day, you know, there's, you know, there's a handful of people waving flags, but that's the day I get up and go, let's all get a flag, you know, and it's just, what is going on? Everybody goes wild on the day that you bring the visitor. Well, the Lord loves that. He did that on the day of uh, Pentecost. All the visitors were in Jerusalem from all over the world. He goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send the sound of a rushing mighty wind. The whole city's going to hear it. The sound, it fills the room, and then it fills the streets. The sound of a rushing mighty wind. And, I, and I'm looking at this verse, and I just think I need to say this. It says, tongues of fire divided and appeared to everyone, and one sat upon each of them. 120 that were there in the upper room. And I, let's just, let's just you, don't have to, you don't have to make yourself known, but how many of us have ever believed, because some of you probably still believe this, that it was a tongue, like what's in my mouth, that was on fire that landed on people? Don't, don't, we don't want to know. You thought it was a tongue that was on fire that landed on people. I'll admit, I believed that. The reason why, not, not as of yesterday, <laughs> but I, the reason why is because the English word tongue, tongue of fire, is the same English word for tongue, the thing that's in our mouth. But they're two different things. And then it gets more confusing because they spoke with tongues, other languages. So it's three different uses of the same word. 
A tongue of fire is a piece of fire. It's like the tongue of your shoe. If you have a shoe, you have to pull the tongue out. It's like a little piece of it. It's like a little fire. So what happens? Fire comes down, and and it divides, and a little fire sits on everybody in the room. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, sometimes I've been a little bit religious in my mindset, and I thought, man, we just have to stand and just worship God, because if, if we're not standing up on the inside, God, that doesn't honor God, and, and, and God's not going to move. Well, on the day of Pentecost, if you read it, they were all sitting. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you can just sit back and enjoy the Lord, and you can still get it. But fi- they hear wind, and fire falls on them, and then when they're out in the street, they appear to be drunk, apparently, because they think that they're drunk. I, I doubt they think that the, the unbelievers think they're drunk just because they're speaking in other languages. They think they're drunk probably because something else is happening. And I believe it's that weightiness of the glory of the Lord that, that manifested in physical fire that they saw. And that sound of that wind that was resting on them as they were filled with the Spirit. And they were there, I believe they were under the weight of it and perhaps staggering or acting inebriated in some way. And I just think it's amazing. God decides to open the church that way. He decides to open the church. So he heralds the coming of his son with glory. He opens the church with glory. And then the apostle Paul, it's in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. This guy is going to murder Christians And a light shines out of heaven that's got personality. The light blows him off his horse. The light blows him off his horse. And he's the only one that understands the voice that the Lord uh, speaks with. And the light was so intense, it blinds him. That's what's, that's what's got me a little tweaked about the glory of the Lord. Sometimes we see fire come from heaven, and it actually burns up stuff that's physical. Paul sees the glory of the Lord, and it, and it physically blinds him. In other words, God's manifest power and presence actually moves stuff around in the natural realm. The glory of the Lord comes out of the uh, of the, the, pres- of the um, tabernacle right after it's dedicated in the wilderness with Moses, the fire of God and the glory of God comes out, it hits Nadab and Abihu and it kills them. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and they die. The glory of the Lord is intense. Paul gets blinded and he gets up, and after that, he's completely changed. What's amazing to me is he didn't even get saved in that encounter. The Lord had to send the guy to him, get him saved. He's in Damascus. Get him saved and get him filled with the Holy Spirit. But there you have the glory of the Lord manifest at the commissioning. Really, to me, it's the commissioning of the the broadest apostolic ministry there is in the New Testament. Now, I I understand the apostles were already there. Jesus had already chosen them. But we end up with the apostle Paul, the writer of the two-thirds of the New Testament. He gets commissioned 
at the manifestation of the glory of the Lord. So I just have this, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. I think that the, the ways that the glory of the Lord manifests in the New Testament give us a little bit of a roadmap, my opinion. But I think it gives us a little bit of a roadmap to what the Lord is going to do at the end of the age. Just as the Lord manifested glory to herald the coming of his son, I believe he's also going to manifest glory to herald the coming of his son. And just as the Lord used the glory to commission apostolic ministry and a proclamation uh, uh, messengers with Paul the Apostle, I believe the Lord is going to use glory at the end of the age to commission apostolic messengers in the church. And just as the Lord released glory to inaugurate the activity of the church in the earth, I believe the Lord is going to release glory to bring the consummation of the activity of the church in this age. And then finally, Matthew 16, 27, it says this, that when the Lord Jesus returns, he is going to return on the glory Riding a cloud is going to return with the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. All the glory that Ezekiel saw, Jesus is coming back with that. See, we kind of got this picture of Jesus sort of just flying in, maybe showing up. Maybe Jesus shows up and everybody disappears or something. The Bible is clear. He's going to show up with all the glory of the Father. The church age was initiated with glory, and it's going to be summarized, summarized, summated, finished with glory. Summarized, that was the word I was looking for. And I, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I want the manifestation of his glory. It messed me up a few weeks ago in a really good way, but it messed me up when I was walking around and the presence of the Lord was heavy upon me. And then it struck a different chord in me when all of a sudden I didn't feel it in the same way. And I was explaining this to my wife this weekend. I said, you know, when you have supernatural encounters, everything looks different for a while. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that intense encounter with the Lord and stuff just didn't look the same? And then slowly as it wears off, things kind of go back to normal. Kind of go back to doing church as usual, life as usual. I don't want to be like that. I don't want impacts of the presence of the Lord. Everything looks different. All of a sudden, I'm seeing with eyes that are open to the realm of the Spirit, and it just slowly wanes. And I go back to just living in a normal rut. I want 2 Corinthians 3, it says, we're transformed into the same image that we behold from glory to glory. I believe he's talking about encounters with the glory within, encounters with the glory Without us, 
See, in the New Testament, I don't believe it's just simply the glory within, and I don't believe it's just simply the glory on the outside. I believe it's both and. I believe we have the opportunity to communicate with the Spirit of God and and flow with glory within us, and we have the opportunity to open up places in, in the earth where the glory of God is manifest, and it's the glory on the outside. We can behold it on the outside, and we can experience it on the inside. I want to be a people where we are contending and not just always in the, the realm of birthing and contending, but actually experiencing His glory. 22 pages of verses. I doubt He put all that in there just so that we'd go, oh, that's nice. That's good stuff. So much in the, in the Scripture is contacted by our faith. When we begin to believe it, we begin to, to touch it. We begin to experience it. And I, I want our vision lifted. I believe God longs to take his glory and fill places, fill people. I believe he, he longs to take that sense of his presence, all that he is, and drop it in cities. Drop it on IHOP. Drop it on the church. So that when you walk in the door, you don't just go, oh, I feel the Lord. You go, oh my goodness. A nice little once over presence of the Lord. It's good. We like it. But I want the version that blows the demons out of the people when they walk in. I, I want the version that, you know, the, the cancer is on the person. They walk in and the fire of glory burns that thing off before anybody even thinks to pray. Because God is there. The glory of God is there. I've seen the videos, you know, where the atmosphere gets filled with smoke and gold dust. Have you ever seen those videos of different people have things happen in their ministry? Let me tell you something. The smoke isn't the glory. The gold isn't the glory. The lightning isn't the glory. The thunder's not the glory. The glory is Him. But when He comes... There's smoke and gold and lightning and fire and thunder and earthquakes and people fall down dead, either in worship or in dead. No, really, I want that version. How, how cool, crazy would that be? Sir, you've had five people die in your church in the last month. What's happening? The power of God's hitting them. Why are they dying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm in jail. That'd be so fun. <laughs> My wife might not like that. Maybe. She might like that, actually. <laughs> a little peace and quiet. <clears throat> I mean, how did Peter explain the Ananias and Sapphira to the local authorities? The guys did what? Well, they lied. And you killed them. No. What happened? They died. See, when there's glory, there's incredible sanctification. The glory sanctifies. It automatically sanctifies. It is a sanctifier. You know, in the one place in the Bible you see God, he says, sanctify yourself because I'm coming in glory. In the other place he goes, I'm going to send my glory to sanctify. Mm. 
don't you want it? Don't you want what the Bible says is there? Oh, I want it. Let's just stand. Oh, Jesus. All that you are. All that you are. The kabod. That manifest presence of the being of God. The weighty the weighty presence of God. It's full of life. Full of light. See, the river carries the glory. The river, it flows from the throne and it carries the glory. The river carries the life of God. The attributes of God. Lord, we want to be a people who operate in the glory. We want to be a people that experience the glory. Lord, like what Moses had it. And Lord, you said we have a greater glory available. We have a greater glory. We have a greater glory. God, we don't really care about doing Sunday morning church. We want you to be comfortable and we want to experience your nature. We want to be partakers of the divine nature. The divine personality in our midst. Lord, we know you're here with us in your omnipresence. We know that you're within us by your spirit but I'm asking for a manifestation of your glory upon us the Shekinah the abiding everything looks so different when you come everything looks so different when you come it all looks so different when you come Oh, would you come?